1: This is the Four Corners podcast.
0: I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I've said that to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win, 54 to 53. North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan. Jumper from out on the left. Good. Right way to it. five. The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. Go foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. On court, Williams on the drive gets it back out to hit. Long outside shot. Short rebound. May it's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national
1: champion. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot that's it the tar heels are the national dadgum champion
0: carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years and the way that we will play will be the carolina way
1: my love for north carolina i mean i love this school i love these fans and i love everything about it and i would i would die for this school i really would here are your hosts josh marlowe and anthony pagnotta Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina E-Electrical Services. Just Josh here with you guys today as uh, we like to do during the season. We like to bring on guests in and around the college basketball world. And today we're joined by Debbie Antonelli. Uh, She works for ESPN. She works for the ACC Network longtime broadcaster, Um, I grew up listening to her call games, and um, you know, so it's kind of cool now that I'm in a position to interview her and talk ACC and Carolina hoops with her. And uh, she stopped by to talk about the start of the season, how the ACC is shaping up, um, some women's game, uh, some women's basketball topics as well. And so, without further ado, here's my conversation with Debbie Antonelli. I am now joined by Debbie Antonelli. She's a college basketball broadcaster for the men's and the women's game on ESPN and ACC Network. Debbie, how are you doing today?
0: How's it going, Josh? Great to be with you again. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Well, I'm glad to have you on. It's it's January now here in the Carolinas, which means that ACC basketball is starting to take a uh, the focus point, especially with as bad as... The Panthers have been, the Hornets have been, so we're we're pretty excited here in ACC country. And you know, I'll I'll get you started with this. Um, you know, we we talked last year; it wasn't a very fun year for Carolina. They go twenty and thirteen. They miss the NCAA tournament. They skip out on the NIT. Right now, they're ten and three. They're two and zero in the league, and they're ranked inside the AP top ten. In your opinion, what is the biggest difference? between this year's team and last year's team? Two
0: really important intangibles, Josh. One is chemistry. The other is pace. And when I say pace, I don't just mean north and south sprinting and running the typical transition game that Carolina runs. I'm talking about the cadence with which they run their offense. They are getting better, quicker, making it harder on defensive teams to scheme them because of the way they're accelerating through their actions. And then their chemistry is just outstanding. I think R.J. Davis, with the ball in his hands, makes this team elite. And uh, the other pieces are coming along. And uh, it's fun to watch them. And they're a much different look than last year, that's for sure.
1: You mentioned R.J. Davis. You think he's elite with the ball in his hands. He's off to a sensational start. Um, The biggest difference from this year and last year is he no longer has to share the backcourt with Caleb Love, who is also doing some big-time things out in arizona did you expect rj to flourish this much without caleb love in the backcourt
0: i did because i think rj davis has been their best player for a couple of years and i'm not surprised to see him having success at all now it's easy to look back and go well you know he doesn't have to share the ball with anyone in the backcourt he is a ball dominant point guard Hubert Davis will run some sets where he gets him off the ball, and he'll run him off staggers and different pin-down actions for scoring opportunities, especially for threes, and he's very capable of doing that. But he is best with a ball in his hands because I think he's unselfish. He'll make plays for others. He can get to the paint, and he's a 50-50 guy. He's either going to score it or he's going to pass it. He's not always going in the paint to score, and I think that makes him really dangerous.
1: Yeah, hey, I, I I think you're right, and it's it's definitely been a lot of fun to watch, and I think even in Tarheel Country, we've debated internally he he probably should have been the primary ball handler all along, but it was hard to take the ball out of Caleb Love's hands after what he did two NCAA tournaments ago. Um, you know, Huber Davis brought in four transfers in the off season: you know, Harrison Ingram, Cormac Ryan, Paxson Wojcik. I mean, you got, you got know, James Oconquo. Which transfer, in your opinion, has made the biggest impact?
0: Well, I think Cormac Ryan has, and I say that because he's always been a great shooter, and he's always been able to play off of any shooting, screening, cutting action. But the acceleration for which he plays with and his defensive effort has been better than I thought it was going to be. I think he's had the most significant impact on North Carolina. Now, Harrison Ingram's a close second. And if you watched practice and were in practice and saw how hard Paxson Wojcik works every day, that guy makes winning play after winning play. When he's given an opportunity, he's going to knock down shots. He's just got to get into some sort of rhythm, and he's going to have to get that done on the defensive end. But to me, in in that order, it would be Cormac and then Harrison and then Paxson.
1: You mentioned Harrison having the second biggest impact, in your opinion. Um, Your ESPN colleague Jay Williams said – back at halftime of the Yukon game in early December, that Carolina could win a national championship if they played and ran its offense through through Harrison Ingram. Do you agree with that assessment?
0: No. <laughs> I love Jay Will, man, but I don't agree with that. Um <laughs> no, I, I think the game is about guards. And 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 when I say this, keep this in mind. The harder that Armando Baycott works steals, posts, shakes up to the ball, runs the floor. He's going to get individually rewarded, but that changes the space everywhere on the floor for R.J. Davis, and he's going to have the ball in his hands. He's going to change the space for Harrison Ingram, but it's not going to be because of Harrison Ingram. It's going to be because of R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott, and that's not a slight on Harrison. I think he's a very good player. I think he's getting better inside the North Carolina system but I definitely don't think they're going to run their offense
1: through him. You mentioned Armando Baycott, and you know, despite averaging a double-double, he hasn't been as dominant as, as Tar Heel fans want him to be, and maybe they're asking too much out of him. I don't know. But what have you made of his season individually so far?
0: All right, now you're going to think this is going to sound old school, but I'm going to tell you exactly how I feel about it, Josh. I think Armando is picking his spots, and he hasn't decided yet. He, it's a long season. He knows it. Kind of like, you know, old guys don't want to go through preseason anymore. They just want to get to the games, turn the lights on, and play. I think that's where Armando is. So you watch the lights flip on now that we're in conference play, and then you watch it turn to another level in February. That's where I think Armando's game is.
1: Well, I, I, I could definitely see where you're coming from because – he had sixteen and ten the other night and he looked different. And maybe maybe that it was him just being the old man on the block and just gonna take his time to, to pick and choose when he wants to be the best big man on the floor. You know, Debbie, one of the things we've talked a lot about since Sheber Davis became the head coach was was he gonna be able to develop a rotation the way that we're used to seeing at Carolina, the way that Coach Smith and the way that Coach Williams did, you know, for fifty something years combined between their two stints. The first two years, that answer was no. Have you seen progress and growth from Hubert Davis in his ability to use his reserve players?
0: Look, I'm not going to make any excuses for Hubert, and he would never make any himself. But I think you need to understand these variables that are constants in our game now. Number one is nobody plays with two bigs anymore. So there's an adjustment from the old Carolina way. Number two Name, image, and likeness, transfer portal, and collectives have changed everything. Some people are motivated by money, Josh, okay? And I'm just saying, I'm just throwing that out there, okay? So now you've got a different mix of how you're going to go about conducting your business on the offensive side of the floor. And don't discount how important connectivity is on the defensive end for rotations and for playing uh, the kind of scheming that... And ball screen coverages that Coach Davis wants to play. So I would say this to you: you might have not checked the box fully the first couple of years, but this year I definitely see it. I mean, I I don't—I see North Carolina as being incredibly dangerous. We're still talking about them at the top of the league. We're still talking about them as a Final Four team. Um, I, I don't know what more you can ask for. You know, the the way the NCAA tournament is with how many. Great teams there are, how many mid majors that can win on a given night, how important matchups are. If you can be in the conversation right now, and I'm not trying to, you know, soft pedal this, I'm just saying it is hard to win. And if you can stay in the conversation like North Carolina is this year, then I think you're doing what you're supposed to be doing.
1: Elliot Cadeau arrived with lofty expectations after reclassifying to to play this year, and he got a lot of comparisons to Kendall Marshall. And Ed Cota. It took him a while, but he he settled into the starting role in the backcourt alongside R.J. Davis. After getting to see him play the first you know, 12, 13 games of his college career, has he lived up to the hype? Or do you think maybe he's underwhelmed so far as a freshman adjusting to playing college basketball?
0: No, I think he's done his job and done it well. When you have a better than two to one assist turnover ratio and you're playing at the pace that North Carolina is playing at and you're a complementary role to what R.J. Davis is doing and you can defend your position, uh, I think he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Now, having said that, he's a point guard first, scorer second. So I look at his assist turnover ratio and I say, yes, decision making at a high rate of speed. But then when I look at his field goals and his threes, I know he can shoot it better That's where the pace of the game gets you sped up sometimes. And he's going to adjust to that. It's going to take him a little time. Plus, an off-season of weight training is not going to hurt this young man. He is going to be a star at North Carolina.
1: We're speaking with Debbie Antonelli. She's an ESPN and ACC Network college basketball broadcaster for both the men's and the women's game. And, well, she also was a former – uh, player for NC State something that we'll 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 overlook here because Debbie is one of the best in the business and I, I can't bring you on and not ask you anything about the women's game and we'll start with the biggest star in the sport she hit a, buzz, a buzzer beater the other night for Caitlin Clark like in, in your opinion is she the biggest star in the history of the women's game
0: So, Josh, first of all, thank you for your nice comments about NC State, and I want your Tar Heel fans to know I did deliver commencement at NC State in December, which was an incredible honor. If any North Carolina graduate had ever been asked to deliver commencement at their university, I'm sure they would understand exactly what that feels like when you play and go to school at a particular university that just happens to be your rival, so let me just throw that out there because... Thank you for understanding the professionalism that comes with being a top-level analyst in the ACC. If I had been a homer, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you, I'm sure. So (laughs) let me just throw that out there. Um, Caitlin Clark, my goodness. Josh, I've been around a long time. Uh, I have seen and or played against all of them. I'm not sure we've ever seen someone who has done it with the flair and by design, the clutch, the, the creative, and the consistent. Uh, the numbers are ridiculous. You can look at the numbers and you can just shake your head. You can't believe it. But she consistently delivers night in and night out. And the buzzer beater she hit the other night at the end of the game against Michigan State was just vintage, classic, put it down in the textbook, right? Right. Uh, if you know Caitlin Clark, here's what you need to know. And I do know her, and I do have a good relationship with her. She does make a lot of money in the NIL space, but she doesn't take any from the collective from the University of Iowa because she wants her teammates to have it, and they don't have the ability to generate the same amount of income and revenue that she does. I think that's an incredible mark of a great teammate. Her teammates love playing with her. She makes them better. And then if she's going to take 30 shots a night, I don't see anybody complaining about it. Uh, I mean, it's just absolutely remarkable what she's been able to do. Her vision, the names that you rattle off when you start talking about Caitlin are Steph Curry and Pistol Pete and Diana Taurasi. I mean, these are legends in the game. And she has lived up to every billing, and she handles it with such class and poise, and she delivers every night.
1: No, she definitely does, and she put on a show when she came to Charlotte uh, to open up their season earlier this year. I look at my Lady Tar Heels, Debbie, and they're they're 9-4. and They're not ranked inside the AP Top 25 after starting the season, preseason ranked. What is your assessment of the 2023-2024 Lady Tar Heels so far?
0: I think their defense has kept them in games while their offense hasn't clicked yet. And that's a good thing because defensively they have a, they are able to do things they couldn't do last year just because of their length at the rim. Alyssa Usby's ability to invert to multiple positions. She can guard one through five. Um, She's an incredible rebounder with a high motor on the offensive glass. Uh, So defensively, uh, their scheming, their mix-up with their zone, their man, the way they cover ball screen coverage. All those things have get shortened the game and kept them in game because they, quite frankly, haven't shot the ball well yet. Now, will they? Yes. Do they have enough shooters? Yes. They hung in the polls a couple of weeks, probably longer than they should have because they had lost those three out of four. And uh, North Carolina gets the benefit of the doubt because they are good and they are projected to be good. And I do anticipate them having something to do about the ACC race because I don't think anybody's going undefeated. And I don't think anybody's going to win the league with one or two losses. I think that's how competitive it's going to be. So North Carolina has got to figure out how to score in other spots on the floor. They've got to figure out how to get more consistency out of Deja Kelly from the floor. Um, She's a downhill driving guard. I mean, she is turning the corner in the middle third. You can't stop her. She's going to go left or right. She's going to get to the free throw line or score. She's got to get better at making decisions and and setting her teammates up a little bit for easier shots. Because Emily, uh, I mean, um, uh, uh, Alexi Darnowski, uh, Darnowski, I got her mixed up with Emily Ryan, her former teammate at Iowa State. Uh, Donarski is is a knockdown shooter, so I, I think North Carolina is coming. I think it's fine they fell out of the polls. I don't think they're worried about it. I think it'll give them a little bit of an edge, and I think it'll actually help them.
1: You know, I I, I grew up with with Sylvia Hatchell being the women's head coach, and like the men's team, they were usually ranked and usually a team that was going to make the tournament and make a deep run. But when they when they moved on and went you know in a different direction and they brought in Courtney Bankhart. I was excited because you look at her track record, She, you know, she's a proven winner. Is she the type of coach that can get the Lady Tar Heels back to the Final Four and maybe one day cut down the nets and win another national championship?
0: North Carolina and Duke are two of the greatest brands in college basketball, men and women. I have no doubt that they will always be in the mix because they will always be able to recruit high-level talent. Sylvia won a lot of games. She won a lot of titles, a lot of championships, and she won the ultimate, the NCAA. And she, quite frankly, won it at all three levels. She can coach. She knew how to put her talent in the right position to win. And she was playing in the ACC in a time where they were a stretch where they were dominant. Quite frankly, there was a stretch where the triangle teams were the most dominant teams in the country. I see that coming back eventually. NC State's certainly there. North Carolina and Duke are nipping at their heels. Um, you know, they're close. They haven't done what NC State and Westmore have done yet. But I do believe that Courtney will put it together, and I do think they have plenty of time this year. And it's just like the guys. I mean, the NCAA tournament on the women's side is full of incredible teams, and matchups and seating is going to be more important than ever as we go to two regionals. The issue with the women's game still is a problem, Josh, and that is geography plays a major role in seeding, and I have not been an advocate for that for at least 15 years because I think that's unfair. If we could remove that element, I think we'd have a much better championship.
1: Well, that was going to be my last question about the women's side. I mean, the tournament last year, you could argue top to bottom, was better than the men's, and especially the Final Four delivered – at a higher level than the men's final four and their national title game um did. Is is, is, is it poised for another entertaining year or, or or because of these issues you're talking about, could the women's game maybe lose some of the steam and momentum it built last year?
0: Not as long as we have Caitlin Clark. We haven't lost a damn thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> She's incredible. And uh, honestly, um you know, today we're we're taping this podcast on the day that the NCAA announced a new contract with ESPN. I don't have the detail of it, so I don't know what is in the weeds on what responsibilities or what new or or new dynamics about promoting the women's tournament will come out of this contract. I hope there is some creative, economic building um, bullet points and emphasis in how to continue to move the game forward, especially because. Uh, quite frankly, my company does an outstanding job on the women's tournament. ESPN is really good at covering the NCAA women's tournament. Uh, so I, I hope that we are just on the cusp and that there's more Caitlin Clarks to come. I do believe they're going to be out there because I'm seeing in gyms all across the country a, a new wave of little girls back interested in the game. You know, we've had a dip in participation numbers in and girls and, and high school girls basketball. And I think it's coming back, and I think we can credit Caitlin Clark, and I think we can credit the synergy around the way the game is presented on ESPN, especially during the tournament. So uh, I'm all for it, man. I think it's going to be good, and and, uh, I'm glad that you're enjoying it as much as I am.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely been a lot of fun, and, you know, even I can look at what last year did in my family. I'm the oldest brother of four siblings, and I've got a nine-year-old sister who before last year – was more into horses and the barbies but now she's playing basketball um and you know that's pretty neat from a family that that loves the game and to see that type of impact that Caitlin Clark is having and is going to continue to have will be a lot of fun to watch let's turn it back to the men's game um carolina clemson this saturday afternoon uh the, the, are 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 those the two best teams in the ACC in your opinion? Or would you maybe lean Carolina Duke, maybe Carolina Miami, Duke Miami, or or, or, or you like me where I believe that today those are the two best teams in the conference?
0: You know, uh, I would throw Wake Forest in the mix too. I've got them pretty high on my board yeah. um, based on Efton Reed becoming eligible to play, which changes everything about what Steve Forbes likes to do. Plus, Hunter Salas and Boopy Miller are two guards that are you – know, they're the only school in the top. And the, Wake Forest is the only one that has two guards in the top ten in scoring. They're combining for over 35 points a game. That's that's guys that can really make plays, break off a play, and can get you points in a variety of ways. And we haven't even talked about Cameron Hildreth. So um, I, I like Wake Forest. But I, I would say right now Funston You know, I didn't get a chance to watch the second half of the Clemson-Miami game yet because I was on the air calling the Florida State-Georgia Tech game. But I I do know that Brad Brownell's comments were it's the worst half of basketball they've played all year defensively. So you can expect that to be fixed when North Carolina rolls in. I do think Duke is starting to put it together, and they're figuring out their rotations and their roles. I thought there were some guys that needed a role adjustment for them, Uh, and I do see that happening. And then, of course, Miami, I mean, you know, the way they can score and what they did to Clemson without Wooga Poplar was very impressive. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking those five right there are a group of five that I think are definitely NCAA tournament teams. And then I think Virginia is right on the outside. I think NC State is right in there, Virginia Tech. I think those teams got to do some work. And I know, a lot of people are high on Virginia, but I, I think Virginia is a team right now that's trying to figure it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you get blasted by almost 30 by Notre Dame, it's it's easy to see why you could be down on Virginia. A few more for you, Debbie, and I'll let you go. Um, let's keep it with an ACC, just you know, widespread view. When you look at the league this year and you look at the way this race is going to come down, do you think we're throwing it back old school, where it's going to be Duke, Carolina, battling out the last weekend of the regular season or the conference title, or do you see? a Virginia, a Miami, another school maybe playing a role in winning the regular season of the conference this year?
0: I'm going to again check down to Wake Forest, Josh, just because I had them for three days in the Charleston Classic here in Charleston in November, and Damari Monsanto is not back yet. Um, I, I I just feel like when – Steve Forbes has that kind of playmaking in the backcourt. We've seen it in years past where he's you know, had one of the best guards in the league and what they were able to do. Now he's got some more complementary pieces. I do think Clemson is a lot better than what they showed or apparently showed on uh, uh, down in Miami. I, I do like Clemson. I'm with you on that one. I, I think they have still another level on, on the defensive side. You know, their identity has always been defense, but it has skewed to the offensive side a little bit, and I'm sure Brad Brownell is going to fix that because that's not who he is. Uh, and and I, I I really like Miami because I like offense. And if you can score like they can score, that is hard to guard. Remember uh, two years ago, I was on the call down there and with Reese Davis when Miami was up at 30 at, at halftime against North Carolina. is because North Carolina could not stop them from scoring. And that that's uh, impressive. So I think Jim Larinaga has another one of those kind of teams.
1: On a more somber note, I mean, as 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 you know and everyone else in the, in the target community knows, um, we lost a Giant late last year and Eric Montrose who passed away uh, from cancer. And, um, you know, they're doing your time as a broadcaster. I know y'all had to have crossed paths, you were in the building in the Spectrum Center on the call for ESPN, um, against and, and for the Oklahoma game where it was the first real public uh, honoring of his passing. Do you have a favorite memory, a favorite story of Eric Montross that you'd be willing to share with us?
0: I don't know if I would say it was one particular moment. I think it's a combination of many moments in my time and almost 20 years in the ACC on the men's side that I have had exchanges with Eric, always first class, an incredible gentleman, so respectful, always encouraging to me, Josh, especially when I was coming on and there weren't any women in the league and here I come. And, you know, he he was always uh, there to lend a, a confident vote of support. And I'd see him on the golf course during Mia Hamm's golf tournaments. Uh, I would see him at the ACC tournament, and every time I was in the gym, if he was in there, I made an effort to go say hello to him because I had the utmost respect for him, and it just breaks my heart that he's so young and with his young family, and uh, I'm an incredible ambassador, not just for North Carolina, but the the entire basketball world uh, felt something, and I will tell you, in the building, when we went to the moment of silence, it was silent everyone was praying with their head down you didn't hear a word so i thought that was an incredible sign of respect and um, right before the game i saw coach williams and i went over to speak to coach williams and wanda and the first thing coach said to me was thank you so much for what you said about eric on the air and, and what you tweeted and i said well thank you coach for for saying that so i think people were recognizing how how Far in reaching, Eric's tentacles were inside the game, and not just about basketball, but about people. And what a good guy he was!
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think that's everything we heard about him was he was a great basketball player, but more importantly, um, he was you know he he was a better man. And you know, the the we we need more Eric Montrosses in the world. Maybe it would be a better place. The last thing I'll, I'll ask you, and I'll let you go. Um, you know, this time. Last year, Carolina was trending down, and there was a lot of questions about Hubert Davis's job security. I don't think those questions are still here today, but I think the biggest question is, is how would you define success for North Carolina basketball in 2023-2024?
0: Well, you could go (laughs) – I agree with you. First of all, Hubert's job is not on the line. Uh, I think he's done a remarkable job this year with the group of people he has because you can see another level of joy that they play with. I say the same thing about the NC State women. They play with an incredible amount of joy. They love playing together. Uh, I think North Carolina's success is going to be defined on uh, where they finish in the ACC tournament and then what their seeding is in the NCAA tournament. But more important, their NCAA seeding is, can they get to the third, second weekend, and then to the Final Four? I think they are a second-weekend team. If they don't make it to the second weekend, I think it would be disappointing for them.
1: Well, there you have it. That was the voice of Debbie Antonelli. Debbie, this was a fun, wide-ranging conversation. We covered a lot of topics on the men's game, the women's game, and um, can't wait to hear you on a broadcast in the near future and hopefully down the road we can talk some more ACC and college basketball
0: we always do chop it up Josh I appreciate you having me on thank you so much and thanks for your efforts on the women's side as well
1: yes ma'am you have a great day okay
0: okay thanks buddy see you soon
1: and there you go guys that was the voice of Debbie Antonelli like I mentioned she might be a former NC State women's basketball player but you know, she's a first-class person, an excellent broadcaster, and she knows the game inside and out. And uh, I'd be doing a disservice if we didn't bring her on from time to time to talk some ACC and some college basketball. But with that, guys, that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to visit the website com. Everything you need to know for the Clemson game will be there, game preview, game recap. Um, You can find that there. Also, latest football news, another uh, transfer portal entry. Um, You can find out who that is and the impact that he has on that decision. Anthony's putting together his wish list for the next defensive coordinators. Anything coming out from the Keenan Football Center, we have you covered. So stay tuned to the Heel Tough blog for the latest and the best. Carolina basketball, Tar Heel football coverage. As for the podcast, guys, You know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. There we do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, With that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I do want to thank you guys for listening. Thanks again to Debbie Antonelli for joining us today. And as always, Go Tar Heels! and he's sweeter than that.